Today on This Week in Iowa, more kids under the supervision of fewer adults. But not everyone's on board with the changes to childcare ratios. Then we chat older kids and using public money for private schools, how this proposal by the governor is different and the advocates' response. Good morning and thank you for being with us for This Week in Iowa. I'm Mary Sugden. Sabrina is off this week. Mental health issues have increased during the pandemic. Action has been taken on the state level to help fix the mental health crisis. But what are the next steps? Governor Kim Reynolds made no mention of it during her condition of the state address, and Republican Representative Ann Meyer is now taking the reins. So here's a quick breakdown of the four bills she's introduced. The first would fund 12 additional psychiatric residents in the state. The second one increased the capacity at Independence and Cherokee Mental Health Institutes by 50%. The third would expand loan forgiveness for prescribing mental health providers. And the final piece would require Department of Human Services to establish a Medicaid rate for certain higher need patients. Well, I am joined now by Representative Ann Meyer. She is the chair of the House Human Resources Committee and just recently introduced a series of legislation aimed at mental health resources. So Representative Meyer, can you kind of walk us through what those pieces of legislation are really aiming to change here in Iowa? Absolutely. Um, I'll just go back just a little bit. Um, my community is uh, very concerned with mental health. I've had lots of meetings with my local hospital and my local law enforcement. Um, we brought our local law enforcement and several other law enforcement agencies from around the state down for a meeting with DHS regarding the mental health issue, the crisis that we have. Um, so since I've been in the house, uh, the first year I was in the house, we passed the framework for children's mental health care. So that was a great thing. We've made strides all along last year, especially we, um, uh, made telehealth parity for uh, mental health visits. So someone could stay at home and have their um, mental health visit. But I'm still hearing from the community and I'm still hearing from law enforcement, but that's really, they haven't seen a change in, in the issue. So they still have um, people that they're dealing with on the street with mental health issues every day people in the jails, and we have people sitting in our, our local ER uh, that aren't getting treatment because we don't have a, a psych unit. So that was the impetus for um, introducing these bills. You had mentioned that you were kind of, you know, inspired to put this type of legislation together after conversations you had, you know, with constituents and, you know, throughout kind of the campaign trail. Can you kind of talk to me about anything that stuck out to you, you know, from any of those conversations or, you know, really what kind of stuck with you to put some of this together? Yep, um, I, I have several stories that uh, occurred while I was door knocking. Um, uh, one in particular, a grandparent was telling me that their child was kicked out of public school, uh, which, you know, is a school of last resort because of mental health issues and, and didn't really have any treatment available to her. Um, another uh, young woman had a, uh, she told me a story about her brother after being in, in uh, overseas in Iraq, uh, had PS, PTSD and um, couldn't deal with it and started using substances. And uh, he basically is homeless now, even though she invited him into her home, he just, uh, he doesn't feel comfortable there. And again, using drugs and um, walking on the streets. And then the main, the main reason though, um, that we got involved with this 
with the law enforcement is because in Fort Dodge two years ago, if you'll remember um, 2019, one of our beloved pastors was murdered. And this patient, uh, this man who committed the murder, uh, law enforcement knew about him. He had a, a huge uh, paper chart about uh, in and out of uh, law enforcement. And I know his mother was struggling to get him help as, as well. These are the tragedies that we just don't want to see going on in our state. And I realize that these bills are a big ask, um, but we've got to do something uh, to help these patients. They're, they're slipping through the cracks. And I'm, I'm happy that our leadership is on board with this. He has a special uh, relationship um, with this issue as well. Representative Meyer, we know that you have a busy schedule, so we appreciate you making some time for us today. My pleasure. Take care. And this legislation is making its way through committee. We'll be keeping a close eye on it. Were children under the care of fewer adults? Up next, we'll hear from a child care provider why the proposal is getting a mixed reaction. Governor Kim Reynolds wants to improve access to childcare in Iowa. Last week, she announced nearly $37 million in grants to projects expected to add 5,000 childcare openings across the state. She's also proposed a change to the number of kids one person can take care of. Right now, one person can care for two or six two-year-olds at one time, and for those taking care of three-year-olds, that ratio is one to eight. Reynolds wants to boost those numbers to eight and 10, respectively. I am joined now by Janine Laughlin. She's the area director of New Horizon Academy. And Janine, I know that we have been looking at the proposal from Governor Reynolds, looking at the student ratio in centers like yours. So talk to me about what you thought when you heard about a proposal like that. Well, I know this came down from the governor's task force as a suggestion, and that task force was made up of many people from many different sectors. Um, and so when you think of people making decisions based on what's best for the child, uh, this is definitely not one of them. I think that this is going to be devastating to our already fractured workforce. I think it's going to put additional stress on the children. I think it is going to lead to that um, less um, option, less um, uh, time to build brain development and build relationships with children. 90% of brain development happens in the first five years that um, a child is alive. And so this is the time now in early childhood where we need to take the opportunity, every opportunity that we can to build relationships with those children and provide the very best curriculum. When you increase ratios, that means there are fewer adults to do that for the number of children in the classroom. So I do not think this is the answer to, to increasing um, childcare slots in our, in our state. You mentioned the workforce, and I know this is something, you know, plaguing a lot of industries right now, but talk to me specifically with daycare and centers like yours. What are we looking at when we talk about workforce issues and what do you see this proposal maybe adding to that? So we have, um, we are at a critical time right now in being able to recruit and retain teachers, teachers who are qualified, teachers who want to be in the classrooms, teachers, you know, who, who are here to love the children. We just cannot get applicants. And I know that is across um, all childcare, across many industries. But as far as retention, you know, at New Horizon Academy, we are doing everything that we can to retain our teachers. And at the end of the day, it's already 
a stressful job. There's There are great rewards, many great rewards, but it is a stressful job. And then you turn around and you tell a teacher, now you're going to be taking care of X more children, two more children in, in, in the group size you know, they're going to look at you and think, this is crazy. I can go someplace else and do something different for sometimes more money. So what we're seeing now, as far as the workforce and recruitment and retention is only going to be more challenged by these ratio increases. And is there anything you would have liked to see differently in this proposal? If you could, you know, write a proposal yourself for this industry, you know, what would you like to see, whether that's, you know, more staff or different funding or different ratios? I mean, what in your eyes would kind of help some of these stressors we're talking about? Absolutely, Mary. Gosh, we could we could talk about this for 20 minutes. But I do think that in Iowa, we need to take the opportunity to invest in our children and by doing that, I mean that we need to increase childcare assistance reimbursement rates, number one. <clears throat> that gives more funding to centers than to, in turn, pay their teachers higher wages. It also gives more options to those families who are on childcare assistance. We have $70 million sitting in a fund right now that isn't being spent on anything. Let's put that money to use in our state and let's get started by raising those reimbursement rates. My gosh, in some of these um, areas where we are having so, mu so much childcare desert as we're calling it, these increased rates could provide openings and keep centers open because there's more funding going into our centers. And I think that is really where we need to start. Well, Janine, thank you so much for giving up some time for us today. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you, Mary. Next, we'll turn our attention to a provider who has a new way of retaining staff and dealing with workforce struggles. We explain the partnership bringing private money to help her center. This morning, we were talking about the potential changes to ratios in childcare, more kids in the hand of fewer adults. But is that the only option to make childcare more accessible for families? I spoke to a childcare provider who is partnering with a company and getting their buy-in to make her center more desirable. I am joined now by Miranda Nimi. She is the executive director of the Collins Aerospace Day Academy. And Miranda, it's my understanding that there's somewhat of a partnership underway that's been a help in how you're able to provide services so talk to me what that partnership looks like. Uh, the Collins Aerospace in Cedar Rapids has been um, supporting a childcare center for the past 35 years in Cedar Rapids. And um, they have always uh, had another company manage the childcare center for them. They're in the business of aerospace, not childcare. And um, but know that it is a great asset for their employees and a great benefit for their employees. So they have a management um, company that uh, manages the child care center for them. Um, but we're primarily here for the Collins um, Aerospace um, employees. I am actually the owner of the company that manages the child care in addition to being the director of the child care center as well. So I do it all. I guess, you know, I know that we're kind of looking at this as well as, you know, hearing from Governor Reynolds about, you know, a change in, in ratio, you know, for daycares and centers like this. How does the partnership that you kind of have underway, how does that, you know, maybe benefit in, in a situation like that? Or how are you kind of anticipating that potential of changing ratios? Um, 
honestly, I am not a big fan of the changing of the ratios. <laughs> um, I, my primary concern um, as the executive director, my primary job is we want to make sure that we're providing a safe environment for our children to attend every day um, to help support the families and, um, and the children in our care. And uh, so therefore, I know that um, Governor Reynolds and the task force and uh, legislative with the bill trying to expand those ratios are trying to help with the workforce um, to be able to increase the amount of kids that a person can watch. So that way it's less staff. Um, we will not be changing our ratios here in our building. Like I said, I want to stress on the safety and on the well-being of our kiddos. Um, so it really doesn't affect the partnership here. Um, Collins does um, support us financially and advocates for us um, completely. And in doing so, we kind of came up with some of our own solutions to help um, some of the workforce challenges that we were experiencing here at the center. Talk to me about kind of what that workforce, you know, those incentives or whatever you've been able to kind of think outside the box. What does some of that look like? Um, we really want to make sure that we're supporting the workforce that we have. And um, I have a fantastic staff. Um, couldn't have been made it through these last few months without them. We have, um, I lost 12 staff members within like three weeks timeframe back in August. So we're extremely short. Um, I was doing three jobs instead of just one. And um, so life was very difficult and just talked with um, my people over at Collins and just said, we can't keep going at this pace. We have children on a waiting list. We have families that need childcare. I don't have the staff. We can't do what we normally would do. We're in survival mode and it's not a good mode to be in. We've been in survival mode for almost two years now because of COVID. And um, so we sat down and looked at budget and income and expenses and try to see where we could cut and what we could, you know, increase and what we could do. So we are able to increase our hourly wages for our staff. And, um, but in turn, in order to do that, we also had to raise the tuition for our families as well um, to help offset some of those costs. And then Collins also supporting that um, increase as well. Um, but we had to do something. Um, my biggest competitions for staff was not other childcare centers. Um, it was the Quick Stars and the Targets and the Starbucks and um, all the other businesses were starting rate, wages were $16 or more an hour. Those are my biggest competition. And so we needed to realize that the only way that we were gonna be able to increase our enrollment was to support the workforce. And so that's what we did. Well, Miranda, thank you again for making some time for us. We really appreciate it. No problem, thank you. Now these changes must be legislated, so there is a lengthy process ahead. The governor will submit her version and lawmakers will decide if they agree or have their own ideas on how to fix the childcare issues. We'll continue to follow those changes. And the switching gears now to talk about older kids and how the governor wants to pay for private school with public funds, how advocates feel about her proposal. governor in her condition of the state address laid out what she calls a scholarship program for kids. It's a way to use public dollars to pay for private school. So here's how it would work. Eligible students would be able to use 70% of the state funding they get for school to put towards private tuition. So let's break down those numbers. State aid per student is more than $7,600. 70% of that, nearly $5,400, would follow the student. 
30%, nearly $2,300, would remain with the state and then be reallocated to smaller districts. Now, a side note, for local aid, more than $1,400 per student of local discretionary property tax levies can be retained, even if a student leaves the district. Now, this will be capped at 10,000 students in the first year. And this is a different take on school choice than what Reynolds has taken in the past because she couldn't get her voucher pro proposal passed by the legislature in previous years. Now, I spoke with advocates for school choice and how they feel about the governor's proposal. I am joined now by Trish Wilger. She is the executive director for the Iowa Alliance for Choice and Education. So Trish, thank you for joining us. First, I kind of want to start. We know that with Governor Reynolds' uh, condition of the state, she mentioned some scholarships and funding that potentially going for more choices in the state. Talk to me about what your organization thought about that proposal. Uh, we're very excited about the proposal. Um, it covers um, a good percentage of um, potential students who could use this. Um, it'll cover um, public school students and incoming kindergartners uh, who want to attend a non-public school. And, um, but they have to be income qualified or have an individual education program. So it's limited there. And it's also limited um, in a cap of 10,000 students. So um, that's another fiscally responsible way to do it so that um, the legislature knows exactly how much this could potentially cost the state. Um, but school choice programs end up saving taxpayers in the long run as well. So um, we are just excited about many aspects of the proposal we heard last week. When we talk about school choice, why is that something that to you seems to be important for a state like Iowa and for parents in our state to, to have that type of, of choice for their education for their students? Um, it's very important uh, because some parents have choice. They can either move to a district um, that has great schools or they can afford to send their child to a different option or choose homeschooling. Um, but not everyone has those abilities. Um, so school choice is so important to give kids an opportunity to succeed. Um, we have great public schools in Iowa, non-public schools. Um, a lot of parents are choosing homeschooling, virtual schooling. Um, it's just important for parents to have the option, not one, you know, one option doesn't work for everyone the same way. So we want to work hard to give parents those options. I think what we heard from those that maybe are against or concerned about this type of legislation in the past is their idea that this might be taking money from, you know, public schools and they believe them to be underfunded to begin with. So I guess your thought on, on that thought process and what you would say to people that are kind of on the fence about this. Yes. Well, first I would say this isn't going to cause a mass exodus. Um, we have a lot of good public schools here that are, are meeting the needs of the majority of students. And we know the majority of Iowa kids are going to stay in public schools. So that funding will be there to support them. And again, with especially this proposal that the governor's putting out, it saves some funding and um, it's actually being reinvested in those small rural districts in Iowa who we're hearing are the most concerned about it because they have such a small enrollment. Um, so this is a really creative way to assure that no one suffers from this program. And in fact, it will save money that can be reinvested 
in the public school system. I know for your organization, we're coming up on an exciting week and kind of a big week for you all with National School Choice Week. So talk to me about what that week is really about and maybe what some of the things you guys have planned. Well, um, National School Choice Week is meant to focus on quality K-12 options for kids across the country. So there are celebrations across the state. It's nonpartisan, nonprofit. Um, it's about celebrating what we have here in Iowa. We have a lot of great options. So we're doing a couple of things next week. We're hosting a uh, legislative breakfast on Thursday the 27th. So we'll have some kids and families um, there at the breakfast at the Capitol to meet with legislators and talk with them about their education um, provider of, cho of choice and, and what they're doing, what they're excited about. We'll also have a family photo contest and you can find that um, on our website at iowaace.org. Any family, uh, public, private, homeschool family, they're all eligible, uh, just a fun, thing to celebrate education in Iowa, and uh, there's some good prizes involved as well. Well, Trish, a busy and exciting week coming up for you. We appreciate you giving up some time for us today. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me, Mary. You're watching This Week in Iowa. We'll be right back. Thank you so much for joining us for This Week in Iowa. If you happen to miss any of today's program, you can catch up by listening to the This Week in Iowa podcast. You can find that on Spotify or any other place you listen. And our team here at Local 5 will keep you updated on what's happening under the Golden Dome. For all of that, catch us every night right here on Local 5 and download the We Are Iowa app. Just turn on notifications so you get the latest sent straight to your phone.